Romans 14. So uh, I, I enjoy on social media reading these uh, articles uh, by the Babylon Bee. Anybody familiar with the Babylon Bee? It's a Christian satire site, and, uh, and, and, and they write funny stories that could be true. I mean, they're so ridiculous, uh, but yet so tuned in to how people actually behave. And there's a lot of funny ones, but one I read last week, the headline was, Man in Critical Condition after hearing slightly different viewpoint. Man in critical condition after hearing slightly different viewpoint. And what that's touching on is we live in a time, in a culture, in a place, in a season when we really struggle to say, okay, you have this opinion, I have this opinion, let's agree to disagree. Um, and we struggle with that uh, when it comes to styles of worship, uh, when it comes to uh, one big one every year in Halloween, uh, you know, October, people will be writing, don't celebrate ha Halloween satanic, no, do, do Halloween, it's awesome, and everything in between, um, uh, you know, should you drink a beer or not, um, different, different uh, understandings of revelation and how the world's going to end, uh, uh, politics, big one where we're really polarized, and uh, like if, if, if you think something different than me politically, you know, we're just tend to, you know, uh, we just, oh man, I, I can't believe anybody would think that. Um, we're coming up on the holidays, so uh, get to have Thanksgiving and, 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 you know, just mention politics and you know what'll happen. It's awkward. And, and people break relationship and break fellowship over these areas that really are matters of opinion. We live in a time, where we said this last week, where we're trained to evaluate everything. Like we weigh in and we evaluate stuff even if we don't have anything to do with it. Um, we evaluate everything except for the one thing God's Word tells us to evaluate, and that's our own heart. We want to evaluate everything but that. As believers, there are a few essential truths to die for. There are a few essential truths to, to, to die for, to fight for. But there's many other areas where we can love Jesus but draw different conclusions. Um, where we can have conviction and care and, 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 and think deeply about and debate deeply about, but yet at the end of the day, it's possible for two believers who love Jesus a lot to, to draw different conclusions. Um, but we're living in anxious times. Years ago, I started studying uh, family systems theory, and uh, uh, the, uh, the, the men that uh, were the forerunners of that were... Uh, uh, Murray Bowen and Edwin Friedman, and Friedman wrote a book called Failure of Nerve, and, and he talks about anxious times, and he gives five characteristics of, ancient, of anxious cultures or anxious families. I'm going to give you the first two. Anxious systems, anxious families, anxious societies are characterized by reactivity. Anybody? Anybody? Uh, see reactivity, or maybe you're, maybe we're part of reactivity. I can think of times over the past week where I was more emotionally reactive than I wish I had been. Uh, reactivity is that vicious cycle of intense reactions uh, to events and to one another. A herd mentality is another characteristic of anxious systems. A herd mentality is a process which forces for togetherness triumph over the forces of individuality and move everyone to adapt to the least mature members or the least mature people in the group. And so a herd mentality is where we all have to think exactly alike, and if we don't think exactly alike, oh my goodness, we can't be friends anymore. Would you say that reactivity and herd mentality have, come, have become characteristic of our world? Um, and, and not just of our world, but, but of us. We 
uh, even the most mature person in the room, whoever that is, um, is still going to struggle with these forces of reactivity and, 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 and hurting um, as a result of living in anxious times. But, but as the church, as gospel people, we have this incredible privilege and this incredible opportunity and this incredible responsibility to present something to the world that is an alternative to reactivity, an alternative to herd mentality, an alternative to just living in reflexive anxiety all the time. So today we want to ask, what are gospel essentials like what are what are those few things that you just got to believe or you're or you're not a believer um what uh, are, are are things that are are non-essentials they're important but they're but they're not gospel essentials and then and then uh, what kind of falls into just that category of opinion how do we navigate as believers through non-essential things that maybe we feel strongly about and are important but when we disagree, part of the problem is we have a hard time as believers even agreeing on what is essential and what's not essential. There's people out there that would put don't drink a beer up there with the Trinity, okay? There's people out there that would put don't, cel- don't celebrate Halloween up there with the sinlessness uh, and the divinity of Jesus Christ, okay? So we, when we feel really strongly about something, one of the mistakes we can make is we can elevate a non-essential thing or an opinion and make it more important than it really is. Are we tracking together so far? We, we're, we're living in the same planet, right? We, we, we know about this? Okay. And so we can get that out of focus. And so in all of this, as we navigate, we all have to watch out for self-righteousness. Because what self-righteousness does is it makes my opinion and my standard the standard for everyone else. When I'm self-righteous, I evaluate everyone by my standard. And that is anti-gospel. Self-righteousness is going to cause more people to turn away from Jesus than Halloween candy or drinking a beer ever will, right? Uh, Self-righteousness will make more people and has caused more people to abandon the cause of Christ because self-righteousness is anti-gospel. Self-righteousness is rooted in my righteousness, not the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that's anti-gospel. and so, as we kind of recap, as we prepare to dive into Romans 14, remember where Paul's taken us in Romans 12, 13, um, in response to the good news that we can be justified by faith um, in Christ. Through a relationship with Christ, we can be made right with God. We come, become part of this new family of God. He's told us in Romans 12 to, to don't be conformed to the world around us. Don't be conformed to this anxious world around us, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's New ways of thinking, and, um, and, and he's told us to, to, to love the body of Christ. He told us in chapter 12 that love serves the body of Christ, and that love is sent on mission out there in the world, even the people that don't like you and, and hate you and, and do bad things to you. And, and, and he told us in Romans 13 that love submits to authority even when that authority doesn't deserve it. And now in Romans 14, he's going to tell us that love welcomes fellow believers even when those fellow believers don't agree with us on everything. Uh, and I believe it's possible, like by the Spirit of God and with the real risen Jesus living in us, that we can agree uh, on Jesus as the main thing. But when it comes to non-essentials and matters of opinion, uh, we can agree that the table's bigger than maybe we thought it was. Um, if we believe the gospel, we will become the most welcoming people on the planet. Please hear that. If we believe the gospel, we will become the most welcoming people. Would you say that Christians are typically the most welcoming people on the planet? And that comes down to a a belief issue. If we believe the gospel, what is the gospel? 
fundamentally is that God has welcomed you in Christ. Though you didn't deserve it, you couldn't earn it, we were weak, ungodly sinners, to use Paul's language in Romans 5, but God has welcomed you in Christ. And so if we believe that, we will become the most welcoming people on the planet. Um, And so I want to dive into Romans 14. We're going to read the first few verses and we'll talk, okay? So Romans 14, 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for the sake of quarreling over opinions. And so, so Paul does something really important here, he, and, and he's going to carry this through 14 and 15. He's, he's going to give us two different uh, types of believers. He's talking, again, he's not talking about believers and unbelievers. He's talking about people in the church, people that both believe in Jesus. He's going to tell us that those that are, there's those that are weak in faith and those that are strong in faith. And the strong in faith aren't necessarily the ones that just believe bigger things from God. The strong in faith are going to be those that uh, are less tied down to rules because they've discovered the freedom offered by the gospel. And the weak in faith are going to be those that are more rules-driven because they haven't yet discovered all the freedom given to us by the gospel. But Paul says, if you're strong, welcome the one who's weak in faith, but not just so you can argue opinions, okay? Um, how much argument over opinions uh, happens in, in, in our lives and social media? And, 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 and he's going to, as he proceeds, he's not going to say you shouldn't have an opinion or you shouldn't have conviction. He's going to say you should. But what he's going to take us to is don't condemn or have disdain for brothers and sisters in Christ who draw different conclusions than you do. Okay? One person, he says, believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So, uh, so probably what he's talking about is the people from Jewish background that have become Christians. Uh, maybe they're afraid that the meat offered in the market has been sacrificed to an idol before, or maybe it doesn't meet the kosher laws, and just to be safe, they're vegetarians, okay? They don't want to dishonor God. Their consciences are tender. They don't want to dishonor God, and so they're saying, I'm only, this is not about vegetarians who are doing it for health reasons. These are people that are doing this for theological reasons, saying, I don't want to eat something that's going to make me unholy. And he tells, and then the rest of the body's over here just eating bacon, like, man, come on, more for me, you know? He said, hey, if, if you eat bacon and you eat everything under the sun, um, don't judge or condemn the one who doesn't do that, okay? Verse 3, let the one who eats, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let the one who abstains pass judgment Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Okay, and so most of us aren't struggling over this specific issue anymore, but there there are in our world all kinds of non-essential issues and all kinds of opinion issues that we do bang our heads about, and we we are tempted to have disdain uh, uh, towards one another and to to condemn one another for. All right, and he's saying, he he says, uh, verse 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Is it before his own master that he stands or falls? And, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him see. He says, he says uh, who are you, to, uh, who are you to, to judge the servant of somebody else? This is Christ's servant, not yours. He says, you don't go to Walmart and start giving performance reviews to, there's the door. All right. Cool. Um, we're all back. All right. Ken's got it. We're in good hands. We don't go to Walmart and start giving performance reviews to the person working at Walmart. That person answers to a different supervisor. And so he says, don't uh, condemn your brother who's going to, that person's going to answer to the Lord ultimately anyway. All right? Um, is before his own master that he stands or falls, he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. 
The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, the one who eats in honor of the Lord. But he who gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. None of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that, you might, that he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? He will st- we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. All right, and so kind of unpacking this a little bit. Um, Paul tells us to welcome one another, and he gives us a few reasons in these first few verses to welcome one another. He says, welcome one another. Again, he's talking about fellow believers. He says, if you're dealing with another believer who votes different than you or thinks different than you on certain issues, he says, if this person loves Jesus, if this person knows Jesus, God has already welcomed this person. So you welcome this person because God already has welcomed this person. You don't want to be in a position of unwelcoming somebody who God has already welcomed, okay? And then he says, God's going to be the one to judge this person. So he's not saying we should never make judgment calls. He's making a judgment call by saying some of you are strong and some of you are weak. Okay, He's making an evaluative comment. He's not saying we should never offend anyone. If you're in the weak category uh, in getting this letter, you would have said, wait, I don't like that. I don't like that Paul's calling me weak. So he's not saying we shouldn't evaluate, but he's saying we shouldn't condemn each other. We shouldn't have disdain for one another. Um, he says God's going to be the one to, ju- to, to judge even believers. He said we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, and, and we're going to answer for what we did with our life. And then he says, Christ is the Lord of the believer. He just, he just hammers that home over and over and over. He's talking about people that Christ is the Lord of. He says, if Christ is their Lord, you welcome them. He says, the Lord is the one to make the believer stand. He says, he says, he says the Lord's able to make this weak one stand. You know, somewhere there's like the weakest, know-nothingest believer on the planet. If you, if you ever think about that, like somewhere there is the worst Christian alive. There's the weakest, least effective, uh, know nothing as Christian. And Paul is saying that if, if, if you're the weakest Christian who's ever lived, if you know Jesus, God's grace is enough to make you stand in God's presence on that last day. Isn't that good news? God's rescuing, redemptive grace is enough. So you, believer, if somebody's drawing different conclusions, don't cut that person out of the table just because they've draw, they're drawing different conclusions than you. And so how do we know if a category is sinful or if it's just a matter of opinion and I can do it? Well, um, chapter 14, verse 6 says, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. And so you take these different categories, things that people get all caught up in. Um, somebody says, man, Halloween is evil, it's wicked, it's satanic, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. If that's your conviction... Don't, don't do it. You don't need to do it, okay? But somebody else might say, no, I can celebrate this holiday in honor of the Lord. I can meet my neighbors. I can have all these people come to my house. I can tell them about Jesus. I can do this unto the Lord. Somebody might say, man, beer is the devil. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And somebody else might say, man, I drink a beer and I give thanks to God for it. Now, now can, you, can, you, can you drink a beer to, to, to God's glory? Yes. If you start drinking six packs to God's glory, you know, it's going to be harder to justify that, okay? It's going to be, we need to slow that down a little bit, all right? Um, but that's a question to ask if we're in a gray area where Christians draw different conclusions, can I do this in honor of God? Paul's not talking about sin here. He's already clearly identified in chapter 1 and 2 what sin is and, and that sin is real and we're not supposed to be playing around with sin. Tony Evans puts it this way. He says, things that the Bible condemns are always wrong. Things the Bible condones are always right. 
But things the Bible neither condemns or condones are up to our personal convictions, which are based on our consciences. So there's areas that are gray, and you've got to trust the Spirit of God to lead you and to guide your conscience. Tony Evans uh, uh, uses the example of the Scottish athlete Eric Liddell. We've got a picture of him. You've probably, maybe you've seen the movie Chariots of Fire about his story. You may not know that he ended up, after the Olympics, he ended up uh, going to China as a missionary, and he died in 1945 in a Japanese prison internment camp. Um, this is a man that devoted his life to Christ. And, 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 and uh, he had a conviction when he went to the 1924 Olympics. He had a conviction that he should not run on Sunday. He was favored to win the 100 meters, but he would not run it because it was on Sunday. On Sunday, when he, when he could have been running that race and winning a gold medal, he was in church preaching the gospel. But the 200 meter and the 400 meter runs were not on Sunday. He ran those. He set the world record in the 400, and, and, and he won the gold in the 400, and God honored him, but he honored his conscience. Is that a law that nobody should ever run on Sunday? Probably should be a law, but no. Is, is that a law that nobody should run on Sunday? No. But he honored his conviction, and God honored him. So how do we relate to fellow believers? Again, that's the thrust here. How do we relate to fellow believers who love Jesus but draw different conclusions than us? Paul says, welcome them. Welcome, and the motive of welcome is love. The model of welcome is Jesus. Can you think of a more welcoming person than Jesus? And the mission behind welcome is to give God glory. When the world looks at the church and sees that we can't even welcome one another, how in the world would the world believe? That was not a well-stated sentence. But how is the world supposed to believe that what we're preaching is true if we can't even welcome each other? If we believe the gospel, we'll become the most welcoming people on earth. And so uh, let's look at verse 5, and we're going to look at what it looks like to have conviction without condemnation. Chapter 14, verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another. Another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So Paul's not saying, be so open-minded that your brains fall out. He's not saying, don't have an opinion. He's not saying don't study. He's not saying don't have strong convictions. In fact, he's saying you need to have strong convictions. Study. Think things out. What he's saying is don't condemn fellow believers who arrive at different conclusions than you in non-essential matters. Okay? Don't condemn or disdain fellow believers who draw different conclusions. Kind of like if you're driving the speed limit on the highway and you come up on somebody who's driving 20 miles per hour under the speed limit, how do you feel about that person? Paul's saying, don't feel that way about fellow believers. Don't treat a fellow believer like there's somebody that's just getting in your way. Don't treat a fellow believer like there's somebody who's just slowing you down. Relate to that person with love. So some thoughts from what we've read already. Don't confuse opinion with essential. Don't demand, as a Christian, don't demand your rights at the expense of practicing your responsibility. We live in a time where we all want our rights, but few of us want the responsibility that comes with being a Christian. So Paul is saying, if you're, if, you're, uh, if you're enlightened and you're mature, then we need to follow the example of the most enlightened and the most mature person who ever lived, and he went to the cross for us. That's our model. Don't confuse uniformity with unity. We all don't have to think the same. Um... We can think differently about all kinds of issues. 
But there's a few things as believers that, that we have to agree on or we're not believers. Don't sacrifice love in the name of liberty. Don't get so caught up in what you're free to do that you're unloving toward others. And so in anxious times, we become more reactive and more demanding of conformity, but mature believers are grounded in the gospel, in the gospel essentials, and they're generous when it comes to non-essentials. So let's just break down what are essentials of our faith. Everybody still alive? All right, what are the essentials of our faith? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. It's on the screen, or you can turn there. Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. Okay, Paul says, here's the essential. Christ died for our sin in fulfillment of God's word, and he rose again. There's a lot of other things about the Christian walk that matter a lot, but this is what your salvation hinges on. This is what is essential. There's people in the, in, in the middle of nowhere with no access to the Bible and their language, but yet their lives have been transformed by this truth. Christ lived. Christ died. He died to make atonement for my sin in accordance with God's word, and he rose again. If you deny any of that, you're not a believer in Christ. That is what's essential. The Apostles' Creed is something the church put together in the 4th century, which is um, more ex- uh, a little more extensive than this. But it says, I believe in God the Father. Now, Christians of all stripes believe this. I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ God's only Son, our Lord, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He he descended to the dead on the third day. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe, he says, in the Holy Spirit, one holy Catholic church. Little C Catholic means universal church. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. These are essential truths that Christians of all different stripes agree on. God is Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. This is the essentials. But then there's another category moving out of essentials into non-essential but really important. Everybody still alive? Okay. Non-essential but really important. And so these are things that they matter a lot, and you need to study about these things. You need to think about these things. And these things probably will shape where you plug in as a church member. But these are not things to cut somebody out of your life over. These are not things to say, no, you're not a believer because you don't believe like I believe here. So some of these important but non-essential things are issues like predestination. Does God ordain that everybody, before time began, did God decide who was going to get saved and who was going to be damned? Some say yes, some say no. Gifts of the Spirit. Some say the gifts of the Spirit stopped uh, operating back when the Bible was, was, uh, came into being. And others say, no, we need the gifts of the Spirit ever bit as much now as we ever did. The role of women in church. Some churches say the only thing a woman can do is, is, is sweep and work in the kitchen. And some, some churches uh, will uh, put a woman as a as, as senior pastor. Here at Trinity... Uh, we have more women in leadership than probably any church I've ever seen, but we've chosen to reserve that senior leadership role 
um, for, uh, of elder for, for men only. But people land on all kinds of different places here. It's important. If my daughter went to a church and that church thought that the only thing a woman could do uh, was, uh, was uh, uh, <laughs> was cook and clean and keep her mouth shut, I'd probably tell my daughter to go somewhere else. Okay? Got quiet. Uh, mode of baptism. Do we sprinkle? Do we immerse? Here we immerse, but Christians all over the place sprinkle. It's important. Think about it. how old is the earth? 7,000 years old? 7 billion years old? There was a Sunday school class one time. There's a, a lady that said, you know, I think the earth may be several billion years old. And you would have thought the Christians in that room, you would have thought she just said she wanted to vote for Hitler for president. You know, what? The book of Revelation. One time in church, I was... I was um, teaching through the book of Revelation, and there was a, a man in the church who just disagreed with everything that I said. And no, that's not right. And he would speak up, no, that can't be. And what made it really awkward was this was a deacon, and his wife was like kicking him under the chair, be quiet, it's not. And what made it really awkward was that it was my dad, you know? <laughs> and, and like my mom uh, said, you know, she outlawed political conversation and, and theological conversation at the table because we just couldn't do it in a way that was civil, these are all important issues, but they're not essential for salvation. And then we get into the realm of opinion. Paul addresses food and holy days. Most of us aren't caught up in that, but like things like, can Christians watch R-rated movies? Can Christians drink beer? Should you get a tattoo or not? Which Bible translations are okay? King James, somebody, I knew a guy that got on a King James Version only kick, and so he boxed up all his other Bibles and he labeled them unholy Bibles because he thought the King James was the only... <laughs> Politics, what's the, you know, um, uh, do you have to believe uh, this and this? You know, some, some people say, you know, I can't understand how you could be a Christian and, and, and not vote for this person. One time, uh, uh, years ago when I was pastoring, a, a guy came in in a, in a tizzy and said, who's got that Obama bumper sticker in the church parking lot? As if that couldn't happen. Well, he got more than he bargained for because it was our piano player and our, and our, and our uh, secretary who was 80 years old, and, and uh, she said, <laughs> you know, but they disagreed. But this guy couldn't believe that somebody would have different political opinions than him and be a Christian. What's the line for patriotism in worship? We disagree on where there's different uh, places we think about that gun. Some of us think about Jesus as though he has like AK-47s in each arm, and he's, he's like ripped like Rambo, you know? People that love the Lord land on all kinds of different places here. Halloween, do you put on your Sunday best when you come to church or do you just come as you are? Are Marvel movies good cinema or not? Okay, there's all these other um, things that, that we disagree on. And yet these are matters of opinion. This last category is opinion. But let's think, which of these categories, the essentials, the non-essentials but important, or opinion, which do we get most of, of, of a frazzle over? Most of it's opinion. Things where, man, God's word says little, and we're left to draw conclusions to the best of, as guided by God's word, by his spirit, by our conscience, and then that we should have an opinion. But don't break fellowship with somebody over an opinion. Rupertus Meldinius in the 1600s wrote, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, Charity. In other words, in these essential core beliefs, we as believers need to have unity. 
in the non-essential things, we can have liberty. There's freedom. But in all of it, we're to be marked by charity, by love towards one another. So Paul shifts gears in verse 13. Um, and he says, don't put up a stumbling block for others. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a believer. And so he says here, he makes a play on words. Um, the, the word uh, uh, decide there is the same word for judgment. He says, if you want to make judgments, make this judgment. Don't put up stumbling blocks in the way of other believers. Again, the biggest stumbling block we can put in front of, 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 of believers and unbelievers is self-righteousness. But if a fellow believer has conviction or an opinion that you don't, man, hash it out, talk about it, debate it, have coffee. But don't disdain that person who Christ died for because they landed somewhere that you didn't. Your responsibility is to respect and honor and welcome that brother, according to Paul. So, uh, years ago, I, I had, you know, I got radically, just the Lord brought me back to him, and, and I went and I was locked up for a year because of bad decisions I had made, and during that time, I just grew, and all I had was God's word, and my, I look back 20 years ago, and my conscience was so tender, and um, I had a mentor that, that, uh, that took me to lunch, and we went to a Chinese food place, and some of y'all stomachs are growling, and, 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 and uh, you love you some Chinese food, I love me some Chinese food, and we'll get, we'll get out of here one of these days, but... Um, <laughs> But we went, we went for this Chinese food, and afterward, it was time for the fortune cookies, you know? But my conscience was really, really tender. And, and the mentor handed me my fortune cookie. I said, no, I didn't want to make it. No, I don't want to read that. No, no, you got to read your, your fortune cookie. No, no. I, and finally, I said, look, God's word says don't consult mediums or spiritists. I'm not going to read that. That's, no, I can't. And you know what? Was I a little over the top? Yeah. Did I need to loosen up? Yes. But I look back, and I wish... My conscience was as tender to God now as it was then. I just didn't want to dishonor God. But my mentor prevailed on me. No, read, eat the cookie. So I, I ate the cookie, but I didn't read the... He said, what's it say? What's it say? And finally, I was like, ugh. And what Paul's going to say to us here is that you need to have conviction in areas, but if you have a conviction that something's wrong, and you go ahead and do it anyway... It's sin for you. Even if it wouldn't be sin, even if reading a fortune cookie is not a big deal, which now I read fortune cookies, oh, look at that. But then my conscience was tender toward that. And for me, it was sin because it went against my conscience to do it. Does that make sense? So, so if a couple years after that, my conscience had kind of um, come a long way or regressed. I don't know which way you look at it. But I went to, I'd met this wonderful woman named Sonda, and I wanted her to marry me. So I went to Austin, and I bought a ring. And, um, and I said, you know, I'm a man now, so... I needed to get something that signifies being a man. So I went and I bought a pipe. And I had to clarify in the first service, not a crack pipe, okay? Uh, a, a, pipe um, a pipe to smoke legal tobacco in, okay? And, and I still have this pipe, and, and I love it. And, and I would sit on campus at night in, 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 uh, at our college, and I would smoke this pipe. And I was a man, you know? And, and, uh, and I thought, you know, that's what like a, a grown man would do. And I, to this day, I smoke a pipe. I'm in a pipe club with a lot of guys from this church, and we get together, and we talk about Jesus, and we talk about tobacco, and, and it's encouraging. As weird as it sounds. Um, <laughs> dorky kind of sounding, but it's, it's good, okay? And, and I had a mentor that word got around this mentor that I was smoking a pipe, and they told me, Matt, you're in rebellion to God. I probably was in rebellion to God in a lot of ways, but smoking that pipe didn't have anything to do with being in rebellion 
to God. Sometimes we draw lines that we just don't need to draw. Can, you, can we agree on that? And sometimes we don't draw the lines that we do need to draw. We've got to draw a line on those essential things. Opinions, not so much. Don't shove your freedom down somebody else's throat. Don't, don't sit up on campus and, and, you know, you know, and, and smoke your pipe just to make a point of it, right? Don't use your freedom to, you know, if I'm, if I'm having dinner with somebody whose conviction is they don't drink alcohol, uh, or, or, or if, if they've struggled with alcohol in the past, I'm not going to say, oh, I'll have a scotch on the rocks, please. Like, that would not be loving, would it? But if my wife and I are out having a meal, and we're having a glass of wine with our meal, and somebody comes in, and, 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 and they, they, they have a different conviction, I'm not going to hold up my menu and hide it. Paul's not advocating secrecy here. You're saying don't shove your freedom down other people's throats. Let love guide you. Um, and so, so wherever you are on this spectrum, and we're probably, when it, it named the issue, we're somewhere different, have patience towards others. Let your heart be welcoming and loving towards others. And so as we wrap up, the, the, the message of the gospel is welcome. God welcomes you in Christ. The, 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 the model uh, of, of, of the gospel is, is welcome. I mean, as we welcome one another, as we're hospitable to one another, that demonstrates what Jesus has done. And the mission is embodied by this idea of welcoming. At the heart of everything Paul says here, he says in verse 17, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He, he could probably also say the kingdom of God is not about guns. It's not about politics. Kingdom of God is not about whether you celebrate Halloween or not. It's not about any number of, it's not about what kind of music we sing in church. The kingdom of God is about this incredible welcome we received in Christ. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, so as the band's coming up, um, something I wish we could uh, lay out here a little more here is that um, there's a, a racial and an ethnic element to what Paul's talking about here. The debate in the church was between Jew and Gentile. And because of their racial and ethnic differences, they drew some lines in different places and they didn't understand each other very well. And that continues to be a struggle in the church. Um, and that's why Becky's teaching a great class at 930 about the gospel and race. Um, there's a, a tendency we have as people to only associate with people that are like us, whether that's racially or socioeconomically or politically. We tend to circle ourselves with people like me. Why do we do that? Because it's easier. And it's way less work. We say, why can't the church get less segregated? And I believe that the church will get less segregated when our dinner tables get less segregated. Start there. And you can surround yourself with people that look like you and think like you and come from the same DNA makeup as you, but I, I love the way Tim Keller puts it, if we do that, we will not fully know Jesus. Because we're made to know Jesus in community. And that includes community with folks, one and purchased by Jesus, that have different political thoughts, different ideas, and different um, ethnicity and race. Um, our differences are the problem, but they're also the solution. It's how God makes something one out of all of this mess. 
how God brings something unified out of diversity, that is the answer. Um, Paul's not, oppo- he's not proposing tolerance. I don't want to be tolerated. Do you? I want to be welcomed. Welcoming people is a whole different thing than tolerating people. He doesn't say tolerate the people who have different political thoughts than you. He says welcome them. And finally, I want you to think about your one. Uh, well, first, before you think about your one, think about you as one. Um, do you believe these essentials we mentioned? Do you, have you staked your life on the fact that Jesus is Lord, that he died and he rose, and he's returning? Have you trusted that? If so, the next question is, what would people around you say marks you? You're one that you're trying to lead to the Lord, hopefully, that you're sharing the gospel with, you're praying for. What would they say is most characteristic of you? Is it who you vote for? Is that what you talk about most? Is it your view on any number of political issues? Is it your thoughts on hell? Or is it, man, that person loves Jesus? Man, that person is all about Jesus is Lord. If we're going to win people to the Lord, that's got to be what we're about. Jesus is Lord.